You're listening to The Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwall, United States Marine Corps, retired standing guard on the Wall of Freedom. The tomb is empty. The tomb that I'm talking about is Christ. And because the tomb is empty, we have eternal life with the God that created us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the number one event that has ever, ever happened in this world. So I'm bringing you a sermon by John MacArthur understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Destroying Christianity requires that you destroy the resurrection. So eventually all those who attack Christianity attack the resurrection, because in the resurrection are all the central realities of Christianity. The truth of the resurrection for 2,000 years has been the foundation of true Christianity. The Apostle Paul, in that great chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, sums up the importance of the resurrection in these words. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is empty. Your faith also is empty. Moreover, we are found to be lying witnesses, lying witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection of Christ, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no hope of heaven. There's no escape from eternal judgment. On the positive side, Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that salvation comes to those who confess Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10. The resurrection is at the very foundation level of the Christian faith. If there is no resurrection, Christianity is worthless. It is a lie and a deception. Because of that central importance of the resurrection, it has been assaulted relentlessly. And I want to show you the importance of the resurrection in a number of ways as revealed to us in Scripture. First of all, The truthfulness of the Word of God is seen in the resurrection. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Here is the first sermon preached by an apostle. It's preached by Peter. He talks about the fact that Jesus the Nazarene, verse 22, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs 
which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God." In other words, God had planned it and revealed that plan in the Old Testament. "'You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Him to death. But God raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. You killed Him, God raised Him from the dead." This a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, verse 25. For David says of Him, I saw the Lord always in My presence. He is at My right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore My heart was glad and My tongue exulted. Moreover, My flesh also will live in hope, because You will not abandon My soul to Hades, nor allow Your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life, the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with Your presence." All of that is right out of Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. And it is a prophecy of the Messiah, and it's set in an interesting format because it is first-person singular. It is the Messiah Himself. It is the Son of God Himself speaking. And He is speaking of His resurrection. From Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always in My presence. That is the, the Messiah saying that the Lord is with Me. He is at My right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore My heart was glad, My tongue exalted. Moreover, My flesh also will live in hope, because You will not abandon My soul to Hades, nor allow Your Holy One to undergo decay. Decay happened very rapidly upon death. In fact, the Jews used to say that by the fourth day, you didn't want to be anywhere near a dead body. It had decayed beyond recognition. But here the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Holy One says, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to Me the path of life. You will make Me full of gladness with your presence." When David said that, he was not speaking of himself. His soul did go to the grave. His body did decay. No one ever claimed that David rose from the dead, so the resurrection must refer to someone else. It does. It refers to someone who is called your Holy One, your Holy One. One who is set apart from sinners. That is a well-known name for Messiah. So this is a prophecy of the Holy One, the virgin-born Son of God, and a prophecy that He would not be corrupt in the grave, His body would not decay, but rather He would come out of the grave, He would be raised from the dead. This is not David. Look at verse 29 of Acts 2. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ 
that He was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did His flesh suffer decay. And then the fulfillment, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. One other important portion of Scripture is the second chapter of John's gospel where Jesus even makes a prophecy that's recorded in Scripture. Jesus says, verse 19 of John 2, "'Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up.'" The Jews then said it took forty-six years to build this temple, referring to Herod's temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But He was speaking of the temple of His body. So here is a Scripture in which Jesus predicts His own resurrection. So when He was raised from the dead, verse 22, His disciples remembered that He said this, and they believed the Scripture and the Word which Jesus had spoken. Early on, they were beginning to realize in John 2 that the Scripture predicted the resurrection of Messiah may have seemed vague then because they don't seem to hold to that later on until finally on the road to Emmaus it all becomes clear. And when Jesus rose from the dead, they fully believed the Scripture. What is at stake in the resurrection is the veracity of Scripture, the truthfulness of the Word of God. Secondly, the deity of the Son of God, the deity of the Son of God. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us concerning the Son of God, verse 4, that He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection is proof of His deity. Acts 13.30 says, God raised Him from the dead. Romans 6.4 says that Christ was raised by the glory of the Father. Ephesians 1 says that the Father of glory raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand on the throne. The resurrection was the Father's declaration, this is My Son. And again, the preachers of the gospel way back in Acts chapter 2 understood this. Go back to Peter's sermon, pick it up where we left off. And we see from verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. And then this, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear, that is the pouring forth of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
taken right out of Psalm 110. Who was the psalmist talking about? The Lord said to my Lord, we have two Lords? Yes, we have the Lord who is Father and the Lord who is Son. And the Son sits at His right hand, and the Father makes His enemies a footstool for His feet. That also is indicated in Psalm 2. By the resurrection, the Father declares that this is His Son. So verse 36 says, "'Let, therefore, all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified." At that moment, panic sets in. Verse 37, they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Recognizing they had killed the Prince of Life, they had killed the Son of God, they had killed the One who was Lord and Messiah, Peter says, repent. And we know many did, many did that very day, thousands that very day were added to the church, and thousands more day after day in the early chapters of Acts. When they recognized that the Messiah whom they rejected was truly God the Son come to redeem them. If you have no resurrection, then Jesus is just a man, made a noble effort as a good teacher to make a difference in people's lives, but like everybody else, He dies and disappears from history. But He was raised from the dead, and God, by that resurrection, declared Him to be His eternal Son. Now that leads to a third very important reality. If you're talking about the full force of the resurrection, you have not only the truth of the Word of God, the deity of the Son of God, but you have the completion of the salvation of God. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, the Son is come to seek and save the lost. He came to save. He didn't come to be a good teacher, didn't come to make a moral impact on the world. He came to save sinners, to save them from what? save them from God, to save them from the wrath of God, to save them from eternal hell and punishment. Could He do it? Could He actually do that? It's nice to think that He came to seek and save the lost. The question is, could He actually do that? Could He accomplish the salvation that He sought to achieve? And that takes us back to 1 Corinthians 15. And we could pick it up again at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Did you get that? If Christ is not raised, those who have associated with Him have perished. He did not save them. Because, verse 19 says, if we hope in Christ in this life only, if you're looking at Him as a temporal leader, a moral teacher, 
We are of all men most to be pitied. Why? Because we trusted in someone to save us from eternal hell, and He was just a man if there's no resurrection. But because He is raised, verse 20, now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You can't save anybody if he's not alive. But He did rise, and He conquered death, and He was vindicated by God as having offered a sacrifice that was satisfactory to God to satisfy His justice and provide the required penalty for sin. The Apostle Paul acknowledges this as well in the fourth chapter of Romans in a very important statement, verse 24. But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead." And then he describes this, "'He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised, literally, for our justification.'" If He is not raised, we are not justified. He raised Jesus from the dead to validate His sufficient sacrifice, providing righteousness for us. This is the work of Christ. It is not just to upgrade the moral character of people. It is not just to bring some kind of gentle religious life into the world. No, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, to rescue people from eternal hell. That is the work of redemption. He died on the cross to then bear the penalty, the full fury of God for all the sins of all who would ever believe. He died to satisfy the wrath of God. The question is, was God satisfied with His offering? Could His death actually be applied to sinners who believe? The answer is yes. He was raised for our justification. What do you mean justification? He was raised so that we could be declared righteous. Every aspect of salvation depended on His resurrection. Bestowing eternal life, no resurrection, no eternal life for anyone. Because He lives, we live. The resurrection affirms then the Word of God, the Son of God, the salvation of God. And fourthly, it even affirms the church of God. Jesus said, I will build My church. But that church was predicated on His rising from the dead, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20 says that God the Father brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead 
and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. What did He bring about? This. He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. It is the resurrection of Christ that establishes the church. He is alive and He lives in His church. That marvelous, marvelous statement of verse 23. The church is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. What does it mean to be in the church? It means to be full of Christ, full of Christ. This is the highest honor of the church, wrote John Calvin, that until He is united to us, the Son of God reckons Himself in some measure incomplete. What consolation it is for us to learn that not until we are in His presence does He possess all His parts. Or does He wish to be regarded as complete? Amazing. He's not complete until His body is complete, the redeemed who are in union with Him. The true living church is in union with the living Christ. The religions of the world will inevitably look back to some originator, some source, some person who is dead. But not in the case of the church of Jesus Christ. We don't trace our history back to someone who is dead. We live in the presence of Him who is eternally alive. The true church is alive. Despite all that it endures and suffers, it is alive. The resurrection life of its Lord is the very life of the church. Because He lives, we live. And you can ask the question, what gathered the scattered apostles? What transformed them? What took that little band of followers of Jesus uh, going through very difficult times and being fearful? What took them to the place where they literally turned the world upside down? with the message of Jesus as Lord and Messiah, one event, the resurrection, the resurrection. That became the message of the apostles, the message essentially that established the church and always does advance the church. How important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It vindicates the truthfulness of the Word of God, the deity of the Son of God, the completion of the salvation of God, and the establishment of the church of God. It's impossible to understand the full range of importance connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ unless you see these things which are the sum of all of God's redemptive purpose. The truthfulness of the Word of God is at stake. The deity of the Son of God is at stake. The completion of the salvation of God is at stake. The establishment of the church of God is at stake. The inevitability of the judgment of God, all of them tied to the resurrection. And one final reality, the eternal bliss of the people of God. 
the eternal bliss of the people of God. Beloved passage in John 14 where Jesus says to His disciples in that upper room on the night of the last Passover, the night of His betrayal, the next day He was to be arrested, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Because He lives, He has the power to fulfill His promise to gather His people to glory. Listen to what Paul says at the end of that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, "'Now I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed." Not everybody's going to die. Some are just going to be transformed on the way up. That's the rapture of the church. It'll happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. The dead will rise and the rest of believers will be gathered into the presence of the Lord. The perishable will put on imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What victory? The victory over death. The victory over death. Everything in our redemption is connected to the resurrection. It's the all-encompassing reality that establishes the truth of the Word of God, the deity of the Son of God, the completion of the salvation of God, the establishment of the church of God, the inevitability of the judgment of God, and the wonderful heavenly hope of the people of God. Everything is tied to the resurrection. That's the full force of the resurrection. The invitation is this, Paul's very familiar words in Romans 10 says this, "'If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation." In that same passage in Romans 10, Paul quotes from the prophet Joel, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no other way 
to eternal life except through Jesus Christ. And because the tomb is empty, he has been resurrected to the right hand of the Holy God. And we have a new covenant with God through Jesus Christ. He is the mediator between us and this world. You have a choice. You live in this world and you die with this world. Or you live through the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for eternity. This is the Gunny Out.